So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 40. The NIV entitles it, Good Order in Worship. I take my title, and you'll see why a little later on, from the book of Ecclesiastes. I know some of you very much enjoy the book of Ecclesiastes, where the writer writes of a time to be silent and a time to speak. We'll come back to that. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul has been encouraging every Christian to prophesy, where he uses that word prophesy quite broadly to mean all kinds of speaking that builds up the church by the help of the Holy Spirit in the Lord Jesus. Prophecy could be, as Paul's been describing it uh, to the Corinthians, could be a message from the Lord quite directly into a situation, a word of knowledge or revelation he's been talking about in chapter 12. Perhaps someone given supernatural insight into someone's need or someone's sin even that, that we might minister. Or it could just as much be blessing another brother in a time of open prayer or sister, or sharing testimony of what the Lord is doing in your life, how he's blessing you, what it means, how it's an encouragement. All kinds of speaking by the Spirit Paul's been writing about in 1 Corinthians. Singing gospel truths together is described as prophecy earlier in the chapter. Really, any Holy Spirit-inspired speaking that builds up the church comes under this category. And just to be clear... When Paul writes of prophecy here, he's not talking about the kind of prophecy that would add to the Bible. Jesus gave his apostles alone the authority to give us scripture, didn't he? They were given the authority. Jesus said, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And and so on. He said many things to them, telling them that they would write the word of God. We don't have that authority. When we speak of prophecy, we're not talking about adding to the Bible. We're talking about that blessing one another and building one another up through the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy today adds nothing to the word of the Lord in the scripture, which is perfect, finished, error-free, infallible. That means it can't lead us astray if we follow it. The Bible stands Forever, the word of the Lord stands forever and it will never be added to. So just, I probably should have clarified that last week. That's not what we're talking about when we see that word prophecy. Nevertheless, Paul does want all Christians, he says, to prophesy in this broader sense. By speaking to each other words inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's been teaching for the first 25 verses of our chapter and indeed through chapter 12 and chapter 13. It does kind of raise a few questions that we haven't yet addressed, Paul hasn't yet addressed. If prophecy still exists, if God is still speaking, even if it's not on the same level as the word of God, if God is speaking, what are we to make of that? First question we might want to ask, and Paul answers in these verses, how can we tell if a message really is from the Lord? If someone claims, and lots of people claim these things, the Holy Spirit has spoken to them. Do we just accept anything people tell us if they say, God told me? Some do. Second, what authority does this kind of prophecy Paul's writing about have in Corinth or indeed today? If someone believes the Holy Spirit is speaking specifically and many do, and many claim these things, then does that person have to obey whatever they think the Holy Spirit is saying? Do we, when they tell us, have to obey what they think the Holy Spirit is saying? What authority would this kind of 
speaking have? Or third, if someone claims or someone says to you, the Lord told me, the Lord convicted me, the Lord burdened me about something. And we often hear that sort of language, don't we? In churches. And they say to you something like, I've got to obey him, not you. What are we to make of that? How should we respond? These are not unfamiliar things in the church. They're not things we hear a lot here, although we do sometimes hear them. How should we respond? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 40, Paul sets out some principles for how prophecy, in that broader sense, must always be practiced among Jesus' church. Paul sets out principles that apply whenever anyone believes God is speaking. Speaking prophetically, speaking by his spirit. If you've ever heard anyone say, the Lord showed me, or, the Lord told me, and I've got to obey him and not men. I've, I've heard people say that. We've even been written to sometimes over the years as elders here with people saying that. And it's not something that the apostles have commanded in the word of God. Well, these principles, this chapter, tells us what we are to make of it, how it's to be done, how we're to deal with it. I just want to show you something, first of all. What's this? Looks a bit like Luke's guitar. What are they? Shout it out. Bookends. 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 If you have a shelf of books, you put a bookend at either end, and it stops the books falling over. Well, very often with Paul, Paul tells us the same thing at the beginning and the end of a section to make sure we understand kind of where the section comes in the word. They didn't have fancy type and chapter headings and all those things in the Bible. Paul often will say something, and he'll summarize it and say it again at the end. And it's like bookends. And we see that in our chapters here. Look, look how Paul um, begins and ends this section, if you will. And we see what this section is all about. The start of our section in chapter 14, verse 26, Paul writes, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. In other words, this is about how we use our gifts. What then shall we say? How shall we approach these things, Paul says? Well, the main point, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And then what we have in this section is rules from the Apostle Paul to make sure that when people use their gifts, the church is built up. And then at the end of the section, look how he concludes, verse 39. If you look in your Bibles, that's the very end of the section we're looking at. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forget speaking in tongues. Still, it's the same topic. But everything must be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything must be done at the start so the church may be built up and everything must be done in a fitting way an orderly way. And what follows between these two bookends is the Apostle Paul explaining what it means that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Does that make sense? Okay. Perhaps one for the children. Where's this? The flag at the back maybe gives it away. But uh, where's this? Anyone know? What did he say? Brussels. I can't remember which one's which. One of them's Strasbourg and one of them's Brussels. I actually can't remember. Yeah, you might be right. I think the commission might be Brussels. I think this might not be Brussels, but 
This is the European Parliament. It's probably what you're thinking, isn't it? Yeah, the European Parliament. The reason I bring this up is that when these guys make a rule, the rule applies... For the minute, it applies here. We'll see what happens with that. But it applies here. It applies in Prague. It applies in Paris. It applies in Barcelona. Wherever you go, the rule applies. Because they make rules that apply for all of the countries in Europe. And all of the local parliaments, the local assemblies, fall in line, supposedly, with the rules that come from these guys. And Paul wants us to understand that what he's writing is for every church. The Corinthians seemed to think they were different. They had a pretty crazy style of meeting, which we looked at this last week, and almost ecstatic, a bit like, almost a bit like some of the cults where people were speaking in tongues. Nobody knew what they were saying. They were speaking over one another. It was like a frenzied speaking in tongues. That was their style of meeting. And it was totally contrary to what the Lord's apostles had been teaching. And Paul's been saying, no, 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 the Lord has given through his apostles' teaching that is for everywhere, for every church. And he emphasizes that quite a bit in our passage here. Paul is setting out rules for using the gifts of the Spirit that applied in every church in the early church and therefore apply in every church today. No one can escape these rules just as some people feel they can't escape the European Parliament and the European Commission. So it's just a bit of fun, really. But uh, you see where I'm, where I'm going. Paul is setting out rules for using gifts that are universal, So we might say, rather than saying these are Paul's principles, really this is Christ's command for everyone everywhere. Just let me show you a few verses from our passage that show Paul wants the Corinthians to realize these are things every Christian needs to take seriously if they're to use these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 33, um, Paul begins by saying, God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Then he says, as in all the congregations, the normal word for churches, ecclesia, as in all the churches of the saints of the Lord's people. Paul wants our worship and the worship of every church everywhere to reflect what our God is like. Do you see that? God brings peace through the gospel and worship is supposed to look like the God who reconciles, who brings peace, who brings order, not a God who is chaotic. Satan is chaos. Our God is the God of order. He's the God of peace. He's the God of bringing people to him in Christ, in the gospel. And worship is to reflect that. And these principles, in part, are about that. But as he says, this is for all the congregations of the Lord's people. This is God's word through his apostles to the church. And the Corinthians didn't seem to grasp that. We need to grasp that. So again in verse 36... He says, or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it's reached? It's almost like the Corinthians thought they had their own Bible. Do you see that? As if they'd specifically received the word, and all these other churches didn't have it. No, Paul's saying, God has given his commands, his instruction through his apostles. We teach the Bible, the apostles' teaching, don't we? That God has given to his church. And it applies him really strongly in these things to do with the use of gifts, Paul is saying, because every church... Apart from you guys in Corinth, seem to be getting with the program. Or did the word of God originate with you, Corinthians? Are you the only people it's reached? No, this is for everyone everywhere. This is Christ's command, Paul is saying. Or verse 37. If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, then let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. It's quite a serious point he makes. This is key. 
Paul's setting out here how prophetic gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, must be used in every church, everywhere. And anyone who thinks that God has spoken to them, anyone who would claim the Lord showed me or the Lord said to me or the Lord convicted me or whatever it is, anyone who thinks God has spoken to them, Paul says, anyone who thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, that picks up all of that, must acknowledge what I'm saying, Paul says. They've got to do it in line with the word of God. For he says in verse 38, if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. We'll come on to what those principles are in a minute, but as we read them, we've got to realize this. If someone claims God is speaking to them, and many today claim that, God told me, God showed me, God spoke to me, and they won't submit, or they won't do it in line with what the apostles are teaching, what does Paul say we must do to them? Ignore them, not listen. God hasn't spoken. Forget it. That's what he's saying. If anyone ignores this, this teaching about how we should use gifts, they will themselves be ignored. Paul's right. And it's really a command. Someone claims to have divine inspiration, but won't listen to Paul and put into practice what Paul teaches, which is for all churches everywhere. Just ignore them. Don't listen. It's like we talked for the kids about strangers. Don't listen. Don't talk to them. Don't, be, don't take it in. Jesus isn't speaking, and he doesn't want you listening. Ignore them. That's what Paul is saying. It's very, very strong. This is very serious. So then what are Paul's principles for using spiritual gifts? He gives three chunks of instruction about tongues, about prophecy, and actually about men's and women's roles. And they all have something in common, and it's this. It's the word for silence in Greek, or to be silent. I don't know whether you sort of picked up how not speaking was a feature right the way through this chapter. I'll show you. The first 25 verses of chapter 14, Paul has said several times he wants everyone to prophesy, to speak God's words by the power of the Spirit, to build one another up in love as the body of Christ. He wants everyone to speak like that. Everyone. Men and women. Everyone. But now he tells us there are times when even prophets need to be silent. Or as the writer of the Ecclesiastes says, Paul is going to explain that there was a time to be silent and a time to speak. Paul's rules, Paul's principles, which are Christ's rules and principles for using gifts, come in three parts then. Tongues, something about tongues, something about prophecy, and something about the roles of men and women. And we'll look at those together now. But in each of these, Paul uses the same Greek word. Slightly ashamed, I think for stylistic reasons, the NIV translates the word differently in each of the three sections, which is a little bit obscuring. I only spotted this, um, reading it through in the ESV and many of the older translations, that translate silence, silence, silence all the way through. It's a little bit more obvious. just reminds me, it's always good if you're studying a passage to read it in a couple of different reliable translations. No one translation is perfect. It's always good to take a couple of different translations. And I learned that lesson just preparing and then went back um, and so it is indeed the same Greek word, which is very obvious in the ESV and, and, and in many of the older translations. And the word is this. Ignore, excuse my Greek pronunciation. Sigao or Sigeo. I'm not never quite sure how people go. Um, which means to be silent or to keep your silence, to hold back from speaking or not to reveal something. It's to kind of zip it. It's really what this word means. The word to zip it appears three times in the three sections. So why does Paul want us to zip it? Let us see. 
Paul says sometimes that those gifted in tongues, as was the case in Corinth, might need to be silent, might need to zip it, might need to segeo and restrain their use of gifts. Often it's right to speak, sometimes you need to be silent. Then he goes on to prophecy. He says someone gifted to speak, to build up the body, prophecy, might sometimes need to be silent. Zip it. And he speaks particularly to women. There are circumstances when gifted women who are building up and blessing the church by how they speak will need to segeo. Zip it. And we'll see why. First of all, the apostle brings with, begins with rules about the gift of tongues, which means languages. Look at verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, Paul says, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. He says if there's no interpreter, the speaker should segeo, keep quiet, the NIV translates it here, keep their silence, zip it in the church and speak to himself and to God. People debate this. I don't think here Paul means that only two or three people in a meeting or in a church should speak in tongues. That would be a slightly random rule. Why two or three? Where are you going there, Paul? But more than that, very often when the Holy Spirit is definitely at work in the book of Acts, more than two or three people speak in tongues. I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is taking it with the rule that comes next. What Paul means is that two or three people at Corinth maybe we're speaking, beginning to speak in tongues, other languages, if it becomes apparent that there's no one who's going to translate, no one who's going to interpret, and therefore these tongues are going to be meaningless to people, then stop. Hold your tongue. Segeo. Zip it. This just isn't going to build people up because they're not going to be able to understand it. This isn't a message from the Lord. Not today, because if it was... It would be in a language somebody could understand and somebody could interpret. Whether that's a natural language or a supernatural language, somebody would be there who could interpret. If no one is there, Paul says, two or three might speak. But look, guys, really, you've got to stop. That's not what's happening today. Stop. Segeo. Zip it. The speaker should segeo. Keep his or her silence, not reveal what's on his heart. The speaker should Zip it. Hold back the message, even if she believes the Lord has laid something, or he believes the Lord has laid something on her to say. You've got to keep quiet. Paul establishes something important here, I think. Just because I'm convinced the Holy Spirit wants me to speak, that doesn't mean I necessarily should speak. Sometimes the Word of God tells us that we should not speak. And that's what Paul's doing, saying here. These Corinthians, Paul wouldn't have had to give this rule if people weren't Breaking it. If they weren't just speaking and, and not building one another up. No. Sometimes the word of God has to rein us in. Even if we think the Holy Spirit in us is pointing to something. No. What does the word of God say? What does the apostle say who gives us God's word? There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And then Paul moves on to prophecy. We need to say a little bit more about prophecy. Look what he says. Very similar the way he starts. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Something similar to what we had with the rules about tongues. Two or three should speak, Paul says. 
Again, Paul cannot possibly mean that only two or three people in the gathering should prophesy. Because just a few verses earlier, he said, when an unbeliever comes in, he wants you all to prophesy. He can't mean that in a gathering, only two or three folks should prophesy, should, should build one another up in the word. What Paul means is that after two or maybe three people have brought what they believe the Lord is saying, God's word, shared something maybe they would even call prophecy, what they believe God is saying. If that happens, then we need to stop and we need to discern, is this really the Lord speaking? What does Paul say? We need to weigh what is said. Weigh carefully, in fact, verse 29, what is said. Do you see that? Two or three might speak, but then we've got to weigh what is said. Otherwise, we're just not doing it God's way. Just because someone thinks God showed me doesn't mean he has. So Paul says, weigh it up. Sift it. See if it's really from the Lord. And even if God is speaking to me or to one of you, it doesn't mean I've got it 100% right. It doesn't mean I'm listening perfectly because I'm a sinner to what God is doing and showing and, and so on among us. We're all sinners. Weigh up my words. Weigh up our words when we speak spiritual words to one another, Paul is saying. Don't just accept everything. And when you weigh something, what do you need if you're going to weigh something? You need a reliable way of measuring. You need faithful scales, don't you? Some of us maybe have scales we prefer to take our own weight on because they may be a little favorable. I don't know, that sort of thing. People talk about scales, don't they? We need just scales. When you weigh something carefully, what Paul's saying is you need a standard You can't do this verse unless you have an objective standard to weigh something against. Is that right? You can't weigh something, can you? You can't do that verb without the means of weighing. What scales do we have? First and foremost, surely, brothers and sisters, we can only weigh prophecy. We can only weigh when someone claims to be speaking for the Lord by the reliable standard of the apostles' teaching, which we find where? In the Bible. Nowhere else. We weigh prophecy. We weigh up anything when anyone claims to be speaking, or the Lord showed me, or the Lord convicted me, or the Lord burdened me, or the Lord told me by the Bible, don't we? In fact, Paul says his words, that he's just been... These words he's teaching the Corinthians, he says a Christ's command in verse 37... Paul describes, says the apostolic word of God has come to all the churches in verse 33 and 36. I've already read you these verses. I won't read them again. It's very clear. Paul is bringing Christ's command to the churches as God's apostle. And that's what the Bible contains. The New Testament is the teaching of God's apostles to the churches that we need to follow. And the New Testament interprets the old, builds on the foundation of the prophets of old, doesn't it? That is our foundation. That is our only sure word. That is the standard, Paul clearly even here means, by which we should weigh anything else anyone ever claims to be spiritual. And the way someone brings prophecy, this is often where we go wrong in the churches, the way someone brings a message that they say, the Lord has spoken to me, It must be in accordance with the Bible's instructions too, mustn't it? In verse 37, Paul says, if someone ignores what I'm saying here about the way you prophesy, ignore them. So the very way someone brings something to the church itself should be part of how we sift, how we weigh. Do we think God is speaking? If someone brings something 
contradictory to the way God says it should be brought, should we listen to them? No. We must dismiss it. The Lord is not speaking. Who is to do this weighing? Paul says the others. Some take that to mean the other specially gifted prophets. I think that's unlikely because Paul says he wants everyone to prophesy. He's saying when someone shares, when someone speaks, the church, collectively, the church needs to be prepared to exercise discernment and discipline and think seriously and weigh what's been said. In other churches, Paul probably would have mentioned the leaders at this point. But as far as we can tell, there was no functioning leadership at Corinth. Only factions, only division, only people following different apostles and different things. But there was no functioning leadership. As far as we can tell, Paul hadn't been able to appoint elders yet. In other epistles, he would have talked about leadership here. He can't for the Corinthians. But I think it's obvious, isn't it? In a healthy church, the leaders would have to take a leading role in doing what Paul is talking about here. Although this is a church responsibility, the leaders would take a leading role. We've got to weigh carefully. And what authority does it have if someone comes and says, the Lord showed me, the Lord has told me? What authority would such a a statement have? Do we have to obey it? Well, interesting here, isn't it? Where does the authority of this prophecy sit compared to other authority? Well, it's clearly below the Bible, because we're to weigh it against the Bible. The Bible is the definitive standard. But it's also subject to the church, isn't it? The church, Paul says, should consider carefully what's said. The church is actually a higher authority. Under the Bible, the Bible is the top authority. Then the church, functioning in the way Christ has established with with godly leadership and so on, The church behaving according to the New Testament is also above. So actually, someone bringing a prophecy doesn't really have any authority. It may be a blessing, it may be an encouragement, but it's not the authoritative word of God, which comes through his word first, and then under the word, the correct exercising of spiritual authority in the church. Do you see, that's so important. We should never be sort of made silent or made to feel we can't answer when someone says, well, the Lord told me, so I don't care what you say. No, no, that's not how it works. Prophecy that contradicts the Bible is clearly not of the Lord. But equally, prophecy, someone claiming the Lord's speaking, that isn't recognized by their godly brothers and sisters, their members in the church with them, their leaders, their husbands, Paul will come on to in a minute. We shouldn't recognize that either. It's not the Lord speaking. And certainly prophecy or any claim that the Lord is speaking that undermines the authority God has established and the healthy operation of the church, elders and so on, in a godly church, it is definitely, unequivocally, not of the Lord. That's what Paul means here. That's what Paul means here. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And he says, if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should, segeo, same word, zip it, Stop the NIV translator here, slightly obscuring Paul making the same point. Stop or be silent. Hold your tongue. Paul assumes, again, that no one brother or sister has, you know, the inside track and and unique access to, to to the spirit prompting them. I might need to stop so that I can hear what another brother or sister has to say. That's what he's saying. Do you see that? It's not about me wanting to speak when we share but it's about finding ways we can share with one another, that we can all build one another up. 
Sometimes I might need to stop and listen to my brother or sister. Sometimes the Holy Spirit might use them to speak to me, to point me to Jesus, to point out my sin, just to help me along the way. Beware of one-man bands. Beware of people who say, the Lord told me, so I don't care what you say. Can we do this? Can we do what Paul is writing about? If we say, the Lord told me, so I don't care what you say, of course we can't. It's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be more like, if it's not, the Lord showed me, so I don't care what you say, is it not something more like this? I think the Lord may be saying to us this. What do you think, my brothers and sisters? What What do you believe the Bible says? What's he saying to you? Let's search the scriptures together. Are we united in this? They're the kinds of things that the godly person will say in exercising their gifts. That's what Paul's talking about here. If a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should, Segeo, stop, be silent. And then he says, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged and so that the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. We submit to one another, Paul says. That's how this works. Paul says, anyone who thinks God is speaking through them must have two goals then. First, to build up the body. And second, to be subject, to be under the authority of the church, of their brothers and sisters. If you don't set out with those two goals, you go wrong if you claim to speak for the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. And thirdly, talking about the exercising of spiritual authority, particularly thinking about the roles of men and women. That's Paul's last point here. Same word comes. Look at this. This is about exercising spiritual authority. Verses 34 and 35. Women should, Paul said, segeo, remain silent, translated here. It's the same. Keep silent. Zip it. We'll think about why. In a second, they're not allowed to speak, must, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now, it's absolutely crucial that we understand what Paul is saying in its context here. And don't just pluck these words out on their own. These words do not stand alone. If we just took them stand alone, which some have done, Apart from anything else, they would totally, utterly contradict what Paul has said in chapters 11 through 14, where he's explained just how he wants women to pray and prophesy in the gathering of the church, right the way through to all praying and and prophesying through 14. Paul is not saying, in all cases, women are to remain silent. He's talking in a very specific context here. We mustn't make Paul contradict Paul, because that's ridiculous. He's talking about something specific. He does expect women generally to be praying and prophesying, which kind of relies on speaking, doesn't it? You can't really pray and prophesy without speaking. Yet verse 34 says, Women should, segeo, remain silent in the churches. Remember, it's the same word Paul used of tongues and of prophecy. People were to speak in tongues, but sometimes they had to be silent. People were to prophesy But sometimes they had to be silent. Women are to bless just as men are one another in the word and to pray and so on. But sometimes, Paul says, they do need to be silent. Let's think about what the circumstance is where they might need to be silent, to hold their tongue. See, the context here 
is taking spiritual authority, isn't it? Paul's been talking about weighing of prophecy and ordering of prophecy and asking someone to sit down maybe so someone else can speak and so on. Weighing up is what that person said really of the Lord. It's taking spiritual authority. It would certainly have been taking spiritual authority over men. Maybe even some of the women that were speaking might have been wives of, of husbands who were there. The word women can also be wives. It's, it's the same word. Greek, Greek, you have to have the context to distinguish. Maybe even some of the wives, when their husbands brought what they thought was prophecy, maybe their wives were poo-pooing it. We don't know. But what we do know is the Lord does not want women to take spiritual authority over men. And that is what Paul is talking about here. Scripture is clear on this. You don't have to turn to it, but you're probably familiar. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to speak. No, that's not what he says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. In that context, she must be quiet. It's exactly the same. In the context of preaching and teaching a man, in that specific context, a woman must be quiet. Paul doesn't ask women generally to be silent in the church. And we don't want women to be silent in the church. What he asks is that when the church needs to exercise spiritual authority, as was sorely needed at Corinth with all the madness that was going on, women will sometimes need to be quiet so that godly men, ultimately when they're appointed, godly leaders can exercise spiritual authority in the way that God has ordained. Women should, in that sense, segeo, remain silent in the churches. Verse 34, Paul continues, they're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. What does Paul mean by as the law says? It's kind of interesting because there is no command in the law of Moses that says a woman must be silent in the assembly. That's not a command in the law. And indeed, Paul generally, generally doesn't use the law like that, just taking commands and throwing them onto Christians. That's not how Paul uses the law. So what is Paul referring to? Well, Paul always tells us when he says the law says. He always tells us where we're referring to. And he already has. Because back in chapter 11, when he first began to discuss the role of men and women at Corinth, he's quoted from the law. Chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, says this. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, he's talking about, in that passage, it's about head coverings and hair and those things, and basically saying women need to be women and men need to be men. I won't re-preach that message, but that's where that came from. It's about authority and about submission. And Paul says, Paul's reasoning back then, quoting from the law, verse 8 of chapter 11, is, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is Genesis 2. This is the law of Moses on the same topic. Paul makes the case that God has established an order of things in the way he created. Do you see that? Adam was created first, and Eve was created after Adam to be a helper suitable for him, Genesis tells us. Eve was created out of Adam's side as his equal, equal in value, But in the order God had created, where Adam was to be her loving leader, first among equals, we might say. That's the creation narrative, Genesis 2, before we get into the fall of Genesis 3. Paul's already quoted it, which is why he doesn't quote it again. He just says, as the law says, the creation order 
but is good. And here in chapter 14, Paul applies that to how spiritual gifts are used, he says. They're not allowed to speak when spiritual authority is being exercised, when prophecy is being weighed, when maybe someone needs to be told to stand down so someone else can speak. In that context, women are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says, Genesis 2. Women, along with men, then are to bless the church by praying and prophesying. But when it comes to exercising spiritual authority over men, spiritual leadership needs to be exercised by the men of the church, and in particular, the leaders God has appointed in the church. Women need to, segeo, remain silent. Just as tongue speakers they need to remain silent at certain times, and prophets they need to remain silent at certain times. Paul thinking particularly of wives who maybe were really treating their husbands disrespectfully, maybe in judging their prophecy. We don't know. That seems to be the suggestion from what he says in verse 35. Where he says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church in this context. The will, of course, be times. A ladies' Bible study, a ladies' prayer triplet are the obvious ones where only ladies are present. And the ladies must fulfill what Paul commands here, must weigh what is said. For it is a command of Christ for the gathering of his people, full stop. But generally, this responsibility in most meetings is going to fall to men, isn't it? This must always happen. If ever there's the opportunity to share for open prayer for anything, we have to... We have to exercise this responsibility. And sometimes women will have to exercise it, but not in a meeting like this. Not in a meeting like this. There's a creation order. Okay, in conclusion to this section, what shall we say? Just a couple of points by way of conclusion. One, true prophets always submit to the authority of the word of God and to the authority of the local church and its leaders under the word of God. The word of God always comes first, but we must, if we claim to have any kind of gifting or have anything from the Lord, any message, submit to the word of God and to the authority of the church and its leaders under the word of God. Most important principle, if you take nothing away, take that. If someone doesn't do that, God has definitely not spoken through them. We must reject their message. Men and women should both fully take part in blessing one another with words from the Spirit, in open prayer, in sharing, in what Paul calls prophesying, in whatever. Let's pray we'll all do that. But there will be times when Jesus is looking for the women of the church to segeo, remain silent. I can't quite say zip it now. Segeo, remain silent. And to allow godly spiritual authority to be exercised by the men of the church. And to those, in particular, those he's appointed to that task. Why? Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations, all the churches of the saints. Amen.